I think dummies are very, very important tools. I think they can be very beneficial for us as trainers. But I think there's value in replicating realism when it comes to transitioning the bird dog to birds, the duck dog to ducks. Welcome back, everybody. Another podcast episode here for you. Um, I'm going to jump right into it. We are into August, which is, um, I don't know, it's one of these little teaser months for me because we know we're pretty getting pretty close to, um, it feels like fall. Uh, there are moments, there have been moments the last, I'm going to say the week, last week or two, in the morning especially, where you just kind of, things smelled different, things felt different. Um so that's exciting, but now I'm sitting here and my our, our air conditioning at our house stopped working last week, which I need to call a guy about it. But so I'm sitting here and it is literally sticky everywhere. It's disgusting. It's hot. I hate it. I'm sweating sitting here. Um, so you know, I, I it's reality that it's not quite fall yet, but. Um, but we're getting close, and I'm kind of excited. We can get the dogs back in the woods now. Um, Makina, more specifically, I can get her into the woods onto some wild birds. Um, ben and I have got a, a few things that we've got planned here coming up um, in the next couple weeks, I think, that we're going to try. Um, I'll keep you posted on that. But um, it's so we're, we're kind of like in that in that time period that's, we're not quite so, the same as we were like summer summer mode, but we're definitely not fall mode yet either. So um, I encourage everybody to keep keep um, moving forward with their training. Like I'm looking at my training and I go, I, I have a plan for this fall. Um, obviously, Makina, the, the little setter puppy that, we're, that we have, uh, she's about eight months old right now. And we are, I would say... I don't know. I feel like we're just in really good position. I think we're really in good position to go back into the woods. Um, I'm not going to talk about her that much. I'll do another episode with her, kind of update you on things with her. But um, other than that, like I got little Blue and Blue's uh, six months old and he's not going to hunt this year. So I just don't have any pressure with him. And uh, he's doing fantastic. My three older dogs, Spry, Ellie, Taylor, um, the only pressure I'm really feeling with them at this point is like getting them in better shape. I just don't think they're in that good of shape right now. Um, surprisingly, Taylor, our oldest, seems to be her and Spry, uh, mother daughter combo there. They're in pretty good shape. Ellie had the puppies, Ellie's blues mom. She had the puppies this spring and she has not, she struggled a little bit getting back into what I, what I call, um, what I call good shape, I guess. I, I think she's a little heavy. Her muscle tone is not where I want it to be. So I'm working on a few things with her diet. I'm working on a few things with her um, physically, conditioning-wise. And I'm not getting the results that I was hoping for. So um, I, I think it's pretty inevitable that in the woods, get her back into the woods, grouse hunting, um, she's going to get into shape. You know, the gun, the gun dog work is where I'm a little concerned with because I don't see what we do from a... Uh, preparation standpoint to get ready for duck season um, it's not so much cardio so it's not a lot of um, 
physical conditioning. So I've been doing a lot of swimming with the dogs. I've been trying to take them. Uh, I am limited sometimes when I'm down here at, at home. Um, but when we get up to the cabin and we've been trying to spend more time up there, um, we're taking the dogs swimming and, and they're following kayaks around and I'm baiting bears and they're following me across lakes um, to go bait bears and I have them swim those distances. I just think it's a fantastic way to get them into shape muscle-wise, tone-wise, um, and alleviate risk of overheating. And so I'm always a little concerned with overheating. Um, if we're going to work dogs, we, we do it pretty early in the morning. We do it real late in the evening and even in the evening, I don't know that I get that much of a temperature break. Um, we get out of the sun maybe a little bit, but that's about it. So that's my, that's my current situation as far as training stuff goes, but I'm not worried about any of it. It'll, it'll all, um, it's kind of like you can stress out about little things, uh, but you'd be stressed out all the time. I look at the big picture of this and I go, I think we're going to be just fine. Um, some are, will be right on schedule. Some will be a little behind. Some might be a little early in the end. We'll, we'll be just fine. Um, I'm going to jump into this podcast with a, a few questions um, that I received recently. It, it's got me thinking a little bit. Um, it's a topic that we talk an awful lot about. You, I probably recorded more podcasts regarding this topic than anything. Um, hold conditioning versus force fetching. Versus, and, and I say it, when I say it that way, I almost feel like it, it kind of automatically um, goes to this idea of one or the other or this this um, debate type feel. Maybe that maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I guess, but I don't necessarily intend it to be. Um, but I I feel like it's probably perceived that way by most people listening. Like you either do this or you do that, and I feel like it becomes a little bit combative. Um, so I'm going to read you this question. Then we'll go into it. It's just going to be another version of discussion or topic regarding hold conditioning. I'm going to share things that I probably have shared in other podcasts. Um, it's just specific more to these this question. And then I got another question from an email today that came in this morning at 10.57 a.m. regarding hold conditioning. So just happened to be the latest one in my email. So um, I'm going to touch on that one as well. But let me read you this question. So this is from a, a, a individual on Instagram that I've messaged back and forth with uh, as I look back on it quite a bit. Um, I do apologize to the Instagram people out there right now because I'm terribly behind. I'm, I'm way behind on responding. So I'm working on that as best I can. Some of it is just, it's so time consuming. I mean, it, all of it is it's to, so time consuming. And my struggle is finding the time to do it right now, um, just with a variety of other things going on. But um, doing my best, this one was fresh. This one just came in. Um, but says, hi, Jeremy, hope you can save me from being pressured into force fetch with an exclamation point. Huge fan of your training content. My dog turns 15 months. Her training has been going great. Off lead, heel, strong, recall, good steadiness, good memory, marking, good range when hunting for live birds. I'm happy with everything, or at least I was when we were training with only canvas bumpers, feathered sometimes, and tennis balls. We started working with a local retriever group and she has blinked rubber bumpers and dead ducks in group training. Everyone's telling me I have no choice but to force fetch. I feel arrogant for disagreeing with them. I think I need to take her back to the whole conditioning table with rubber bumpers for a few days, get her comfortable with them since they're way heavier than canvas. Then get get a huge canvas bumper 
and work with that too. Get her used to the big, big size. Then once she's comfortable with heavy, big, heavy objects, try a frozen duck again. Um, so that's his question. So, so I read that. I was in the truck and was thinking about it, and I was like, okay. Um, this is where I feel like this idea about um, combativeness comes up because if it, you know, and maybe I'm not reading it right, but we started working at a local retrieving group. She's blinked on bumpers. Everyone's telling me I have no choice but to force fetch. I think of that and I hear that quite often of I'm training with this group. I'm training with that group. Uh, I went to this NAVDA thing. I went to this retriever trial thing. I went to this gun dog club thing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And you people, followers of ours that will message me go to these and I think right away it becomes pot potentially a little bit of like this this guard goes up because we don't have we don't have collars on our dogs so like most people that are listening to our stuff and following along with our stuff aren't using collars and the reason is is because I don't ever talk about a collar because I don't use a collar so I can't I have nothing to offer there I can't share training tips on collars I don't use them I don't like them I don't I don't I think they're counterproductive so different, different topic for another day. But we, I hear that oftentimes where people will go to these more social groups of training, which I think are really valuable. I think you should do it if you, especially to get more information. Um, but there's, there's value in group training stuff to begin with. But just because you don't use a collar, then you go to a group of people that are all training on collars and right away it becomes, it's because you don't have a collar. That's why you run into this issue. The collar will fix this. The collar will fix that. The same is true, I think, with force fetch. I feel like unless you have done a really good job with hold conditioning and then you go to those groups, you, no one will ever say anything about force fetch to you because they'll probably assume you did it because you don't have any symptoms. There's no like, there's no problems. There's no dropping. There's no blinking. There's no running off. There's no victory laps. There's no whatevers. That's what force fetch will fix. They'll tell you that. that that'll fix that. I say whole conditioning will fix it too. And it just is a different way of getting the same result. So when I read this question, I look at it and I go, well, I look at this instead of from the retriever club group perspective and maybe it is from their perspective maybe the answer to them is if there's a problem like this your dog's blinking on rubber dummies and he's blinking on ducks so there in their eyes maybe the answer is force fetch i look at it and i go well i think you got to ask yourself what's the problem and then i think you got to ask yourself what what fixes that problem the problem is your dog won't pick up certain dummies I don't think it has anything to do with it not being a retriever because you know it retrieves. It retrieves canvas bumpers, it says, feathered sometimes, and tennis balls. So the retrieve is there. It just doesn't know what the fuck you want it to retrieve. All of a sudden, you went from something that you've practiced with forever, and he's only 15 months old, so he's still kind of a puppy. So you went with something that the dog is used to, familiar with, comfortable with, and you switched it completely into... You might as well put a bottle of Pepsi out there for him. Because think about what a rubber dummy is. A plastic dummy. It looks like a pop bottle. There's a reason I don't use them. Uh, first off, I, there's multiple reasons I don't use them. I don't think rubber dummies are smart. I think they create some really bad habits. 
I think they're super cheap. They're made in China and they cost a penny. So we use them, I think, because I think a lot of professional trainers use them. And I think a lot of professional trainers use them because they cost $3 a piece when they buy 500 of them. They're just, they're super cheap. And they're, they're objects. I look at it and I go, it doesn't look like a bird. It doesn't feel like a bird. It doesn't smell like a bird. It's a piece of rubber. My buddy and I have a, if Chris Smith is listening to this, which I don't think, I don't know that he does, but great friend of mine and training partner of mine. And we've got our own little inside joke of what we call the rubber dummies. Like, I don't, I don't want my dog picking those up. Like, it's, it's not, it doesn't do me any good. So I'll leave it at that. But the idea of the rubber dummy to me is it's new, it's strange, it's odd. So what I would say is, is if you're going to train at a place that uses rubber dummies, ask him if you can borrow one or buy a couple of them if that's what you're going to do. Or ask him to be realistic. Now, they're using ducks too. So your dog's blinking on ducks. So my question to you is, that's that's a big no-no, I think. If, if it's me and my dog's blinking on ducks, I go, well, yeah, I have an issue. But I doubt it that it's the dog doesn't retrieve. It's the idea that the dog doesn't understand what he's supposed to do with this thing. He's probably a little overwhelmed with it. It smells, feels, and looks like a duck. Tastes like a duck. Could be too stimulating for the 15-month-old puppy for the first time. Well, I'll tell you right now, the first time I throw a duck for blue, he's not going to pick it up. I'm going to have to work to get him comfortable with it. So the feathered dummies is part of it. I, I take an object that kind of looks like a, it's about the size of a duck. It feels like a duck. The tech, so we're doing some things with our dummies. I think dummies are really important. I'll let you in on some inside stuff here. I think dummies are very, very important tools. I think they can be very beneficial for us as trainers. But I think there's value in replicating realism when it comes to transitioning the bird dog to birds, the duck dog to ducks. So I, I had a dog that used to blink on rubber duck dummies, like the, the Dokken dummies. My dog used to blink on those. And so I had to get past that. And I've told this story before. It's how I learned about hold conditioning. But I had to get past that. And I had to have that dog work with one and realize that that is the same thing as all the other dummies that I put out for him. And once he did and understood that once he picks stuff up, he can't spit it out, I never had a problem with it anymore. That was my introduction to hold conditioning in 2000 and it would have been 2003. So I think that there's two problems you have here. Your dog doesn't understand what a rubber dummy is. Your dog is not comfortable and doesn't understand what the real duck is. Now, I'm assuming it's cold game. I'm assuming it's a dead bird. So I think you're right in the idea that says, I need to take her back to hold conditioning table with rubber bumpers for a few days. I think you should... And you might not even have to go to the table. I would just start in the yard with a rubber dummy and start making retrieves out there with it. Until all of a sudden, like I actually have some dogs and we see it in workshops oftentimes where they might be the exact same type of dummy. So I was, back to my story about dummies, like we, we're redoing all of our dummies. We're making, we, we are not, we're making them all ourselves now. So we're literally selling through the last of the fire hose dummies that we, that we would purchase we used to purchase them and private label them, and we just started making our own. Uh, we've changed them, changed the strap design, changed the feel of them, changed changed different things about them that I think are improvements. We also are in the process of developing our a completely different material dummy that we're making ourselves. We we bought 
we bought equipment for it. We bought these special sewing machines. We bought certain tools and certain, we built certain tools. Um, and now we're going to be making our own dummies. Because I think that what it's going to do is make it a lot easier because I see the worst mouth behavior with rubber dummies. Watch videos. Uh, I don't. I don't even let people use them at our workshops because I go. All I'm. All I'm seeing is bad habits for me. If they're throwing rubber dummies, I switch them. I say here, use these, because I get less chomping. I get less mouthing. I get less pressure, and it creates less bad habits that are going to be issues down the road with the dog's mouth, especially when you transition it to a bird. So, if your club is using rubber dummies. Now, I, I know that there's like, I don't even know what they're called. They're way over my head as far as fanciness, but everybody's got them now. The, the remote launching things that shoot the, shoot the boom, the, like the shoot the boomstick thing with the, it looks like a paint. I don't even know what it, what I would say it looks like. It looks more like a, um, it's a plastic tube. It's a dummy that shoots off of this. Uh, I think they run off of like, a, a, like a propane, but Anyway, there are these multiple launchers that you can shoot. Um, fine for for some people. I don't know that I think it's. I don't know that it's necessary. I guess, um, but it's fine. But the dummies themselves are are like that, and I think those dummies are creating issues. I think the actual objects are creating issues for people with their dogs, which is why a lot of people, and it's not just because of that, because people force fetched a long time ago. This is, this is where we're going to get a little deeper into the weeds on force fetch versus hold conditioning. I would ask the people, um, Adam, to your question, I would ask the folks, I'd be curious as to where the, where the thought process is with it, not to be debate, debating with them, but I would want to ask them, what does force fetch do for you? Because I'd be interested in hearing some people's responses. I'm actually thinking about there's it's something that because it's so commonly talked about, it's so commonly asked the questions and the number of podcasts we've filmed on it and recorded on it are and they're all one sided. They're all just me talking about it. So I'm actually thinking about I've got some friends at force fetch and I've I've thought about I would like to have like a discussion, more like a roundtable discussion about force fetch versus hold conditioning or whatever verbiage people want to call it. But because I have questions for them about it, like what does hold conditioning do for you? What does it fix? What does it mean? What, what, what does all of it, because I look at it two ways. I think that sometimes the force fetch stuff is um, specific to behavior in remedying undesirable behavior. I also think that it's like, a gateway or an initial introduction to a style of training that carries on down the road for, for some trainers and dogs. And that's avoided, you know, it's, it's the idea of avoiding behavior with the understanding of what consequences come. So I think that it, it's just a trick. It's a, it, I, I, my question would be for those, those who are telling you at the club that, you know, you might have force fetch your dog. How come? Explain to me why. Explain to me what force fetch is going to do for you. So my answer is familiarize your dog with the dummies. Like it's that easy and that simple because I bet you if you get your dog to, to realize that when they throw a rubber, my buddy and I call it the rubber donga. 
like if you're a Jim Rome fan, uh, Steve Elkington is an interview. Google it, Rubadonga. So if they're throwing the Rubadonga and that's what you're retrieving, well, then start using it in training and make that retrieve um, comfortable. And all of a sudden the dog goes, well, this is no big deal. I'll pick this thing up. Same with the duck. Cold game is something. Now I look at it and I go, I don't use cold game and I don't use birds very often in training. I do it for introduction, obviously, and then I use it occasionally, but I use it very seldomly because what ends up happening is, is dogs lose excitement for, for other dummies because all they want is the bird. And then all of a sudden I get dogs that get real flat in training. So I'm really careful about how often I use birds because I get dogs that become bored with other stuff. And then all of a sudden, in order to get stuff done, I got to take out birds and they're a pain in my ass. Like I have birds in my freezer and I don't want to have to use them every time because I don't want to have to thaw them out every time. And I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to have the kid need the, the big dessert every time in order for him to eat dinner. So I am careful and I'm cautious, but with your club, it sounds like maybe you don't have the experience part down in the first place with the bird. So the dog's got it. It's a fine line. It's a gray line, gray area where too much is no good. Not enough is no good. So you got to get somewhere in the middle. So, uh, that's my answer. That's my, that's my fix. I think for you is you got to look into figuring out how to get those two objects, um, to be just normal part of retrieving and watch what will happen. Once you do that, you're likely not running into any issues as long as you got good delivery. And if you got, don't have good delivery, well, then it's hold conditioning. But you got to have that done first too. So that's it, guys. Quick podcast. I got a guy actually pulling in my driveway right now to replace a windshield. So I got to let you go. Um, I'll be back on this. I'll talk with you guys soon. Appreciate your support. Um, and I'll be recording a couple more here yet today. <music>